0: What's going on? Welcome to the show. Happy Friday to you. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here. You can email Pete at thepetecallendershow.com. Hit me up on Twitter or uh, on Getter. It's at Pete Callender. You can also call 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. And uh, remember the podcast available at wbt.com. Thanks so much for hanging out with me. I appreciate it. Or letting me hang out with you. So an interesting story that came down from the New York times today. I know this is going to shock probably everybody, but guys, I don't think we can trust China. Unlike anything. And now, now hear me out. My rationale, look, I I have believed this for a long time. My rationale on this is that they're commies and by rule, You can't trust communists, okay? That's just, that's one of my rules. I live by the rules. Like, if it's a communist person, communist party, communist country, I don't trust them. Just default, okay? But for those who don't share that same principle, you might need some convincing. And I come now to the New York Times report. Over three months, senior Biden administration officials held half a dozen urgent meetings with top Chinese officials in which the Americans presented intelligence showing Russia's troop buildup around Ukraine and beseeched the Chinese to tell Russia not to invade. This according to U.S. officials. The report by Edward Wong in the New York Times says each time that they were beseeched by us The Chinese officials, who I feel the need to point this out yet again, are communists, okay, including the foreign minister, communist, the ambassador to the United States, communist, they rebuffed Americans, they rebuffed the Americans, saying they did not think that an invasion was actually even in the works. And after one diplomatic exchange in December, U.S. officials got intelligence showing Beijing had shared the information with Moscow, telling the Russians that the U.S. was trying to sow discord and that China would not try to impede Russian plans and actions. Huh. So when we go and say, hey, China, Russia's doing all this troop movement, you're pretty friendly with Russia. How about you, you know, tell them this is not a good idea. And China's like, we don't think they're invading. And then they hang up the phone or hang up the Zoom call and they bounce on over to their Russian channel and like, yo, Vlad, um, the Americans, man, they think you're getting ready to invade. And just as a heads up, like, we're not going to try to stop you. I know who really who couldn't who could have seen that coming. So unlike the ChaiComs, right, to deceive and to to obfuscate and to lie, double deal against America and other nations. It really is out of character. Some American officials say that the ties between China and Russia appear stronger than at any time since the Cold War. And there, remember, that's the some American officials say, so the some say. And that's the, you know, keep it nebulous enough where I don't actually have to name the people or person. But some say. So the two now present themselves as an idea the two countries present themselves as an ideological front against the United States and its European and Asian allies, even as Mr. Putin carries out the invasion of Ukraine, whose sovereignty China has recognized for decades. It's almost like you can't trust the commies. Who to thunk? On Wednesday, after Mr. Putin ordered troops into eastern Ukraine. But before its full invasion, a foreign ministry spokeswoman for China, who is also a communist, her name is Hua Chunying, she said at a news conference in Beijing that the U.S. was the, quote, the culprit of current tensions surrounding Ukraine. Quote, on the Ukraine issue, lately the U.S. has been sending weapons to Ukraine, heightening tensions, creating panic, and even hyping up the possibility of warfare. If someone keeps pouring oil on the flame while accusing others of not doing their best to put out the fire, such kind of behavior is clearly irresponsible and immoral. She added, I'm a communist. No, she didn't say that, but she is. She added, quote, when the U.S. drove five waves of NATO expansion eastward all the way to Russia's doorstep and deployed advanced offensive strategic weapons in breach of its assurances to Russia, did it ever think about the consequences of pushing a big country to the wall? She has refused to call Russia's assault an invasion when pressed by foreign journalists. Now, Ms. Hua's fiery anti-American remarks as Russia was moving to attack its neighbor stunned some current and former U.S. officials and China analysts in the United States as well. However, the verbal grenades echo major points in the 5,000-word joint statement that China and Russia issued on February 4th. What happened February 4th, Pete? Ah, glad you asked. Mr. Xi of China, who kind of looks like Winnie the Pooh, and Mr. Putin, they met at the opening ceremony of the Winter Olympic Games in Beijing. And... In that document that they issued, the two countries declared their partnership had, quote, no limits and that they intended to stand together against American led democratic nations. China also explicitly sided with Russia in that text to denounce enlargement of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization or NATO. So this goes back to when the Soviet Union collapsed. And. Countries were like, hey, we'd like to be part of NATO, and NATO was like, sure, come on in, and they admitted a bunch of other countries, like the Baltic states, which is more than just the purple spots on the monopoly board. Oh, yeah, they're way more valuable than that. I've always thought that, that, that they were undervalued. So we, uh, we advance NATO into these other countries, and that's why now they invaded Ukraine. That's what we're supposed to believe. And look, there's probably some truth to it, but at the time when the Soviet Union collapsed, and I'm old enough to remember that happening, we kind of thought we'd won. Do you remember? Like, I remember that. Like, there was this belief that, like, hey, the Soviet Union collapsed, being communist and all, it collapsed, and that means we won because we were on the other side of that. And so when everyone's like, hey, we want to join your team, thank goodness we're out from behind the Iron Curtain— and we were like, okay, come on board. Like, that's kind of the deal. But now it's been 30 years, and it's like, okay, now now you're mad that that happened? Well, maybe if you hadn't collapsed in the first place, commies. Just throwing that out there. Mm-hmm. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, 570 1-800-WBT-1110. Look, I know, like the previous segment there, I was, I mean, I, I came down pretty hard on on commies. I acknowledge that. Okay, I just, I felt like I wanted, that's all. I, I was just acknowledging, yes, I do. I'm, I'm not a fan. Um, New York Times reporting that the Biden administration's diplomatic outreach to China to try to avert war, began with President Biden and Mr. Xi, who looks like Winnie the Pooh a little bit, held a video summit on November 15th. And in that talk, the two leaders acknowledged challenges in the relationship between their nations, which is at its lowest point in decades, but agreed to try to cooperate on issues of common interest, like health security I would trust China with health security as an issue, wouldn't you? I mean, they've done nothing to undermine credibility or trust in that area. What else? Climate change. Well, there's another one. I mean, China's just done fantastic work on the environment. I mean, did a real job on the environment, just continues to do a real, just working it over. So who wouldn't trust them? Oh, and also nuclear weapons proliferation. Because I'm sure China is all about not spreading the nukes around to, you know, North Korea, for example, like it's been doing. Right. You know, there's an old axiom on uh, in foreign policy, I believe it's uh, that uh, North Korea is the the knife that China wields. They use it to do its dirty work on a lot of stuff. So after this meeting in November, American officials decided that, hey, you know what, this Russian troop buildup thing going on around Ukraine that like, hey, this could be a really good opportunity for us to work together. We could try to work this out together and grow closer. Come on, China. What do you say? Some officials thought the outcome of the video summit indicated that there was potential for an improvement in U.S.-China relations. They promptly ran out and purchased a reset button, but then mislabeled it. Um, no, I'm kidding. They did not do the Hillary Clinton Russian reset button here. But, um, others, other officials in the American government were a little bit more skeptical. They thought it was important to leave no stone unturned, though, in efforts to prevent Russia from attacking. So even though they were skeptical that China was going to help them out on this, they were like, well, we got to try every avenue, right? Got to try everything. And if that means we got to talk to the commies and ask them for help with their partner well let's try that too the u.s officials said that the sanctions that would be applied to russia would hurt china also because of its commercial ties they also pointed out that they knew how china had helped russia evade some of the 2014 sanctions which to me would indicate that you can't trust China, right? Yeah, exactly. You cannot trust them because they already helped Russia evade previous sanctions. So to me, but again, like, I'm not a diplomat. I'm not a China expert. I'm not even a commie expert. I just know I don't like them. The commies. Um, But to me, little old radio host, to me, I would say, hmm, trick me once, shame on you. Trick me twice, Well, you're not going to fool me again, to quote George W. Bush. Um, So the Americans apparently warned Beijing against doing any of those things again, like you better not help Russia this time, because like if they invade and we slap them with sanctions and you better not do anything to help them evade those sanctions like you did last time. And they argued that because China was widely seen as a partner of Russia, that its global image could suffer if Mr. Putin invaded. Okay, well, seems like a total lose-lose for China here. I mean, there doesn't appear to be an upside. Gosh, you've made such a compelling case. The message was clear, says the New York Times report. It would be in China's interests to persuade Mr. Putin to stand down. But their entreaties went nowhere. American officials spoke with the ambassador about Russia at least four times, both in the embassy and on the telephone. And apparently, after each of those conversations, the Chinese official informed the Russians about the American efforts and told them, don't worry, we're not going to oppose you. It's almost like you can't trust commies. Almost. As if. Here's a story. Literally just moved. It's out of scmp.com which is a I think it's like the South China Monitoring Project or something like that. Uh, I forget what the acronym stands for. But it says, uh, Separately, China's ambassador to Russia, Zhang Hanhui, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, said on Wednesday that China was pleased to see that its currency has been widely used in Russian trade, as well as financial investments and in foreign reserves, and was also looking forward to discussions about yuan settlements in bilateral energy deals to use the Chinese currency. Zhang's comments made during an interview with Russian news agency Interfax, came as Moscow officially recognized the independence of Ukraine's Donetsk and Luhansk regions and launched attacks on Ukraine territory from Thursday morning. So that's how China responded. By celebrating, by announcing its its pleasure at seeing its currency being used more widely in Russia and with Russian deals. That could provide a lifeline to Russia's economy, and it's being closely watched after the U.S. and its allies imposed economic sanctions on Russia this week. So what exactly can we do? Is any of this stuff going to work? And what's the larger context? We'll get into all of that. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Just seeing this report here. Uh, A White House spokes... Sorry, a White House official tells Fox News that Vice President Kamala Harris is making calls to senators on the nomination of Ketanji Brown-Jackson saying she will continue to work closely with the president and the senior team throughout the confirmation process. So Kamala Harris is on the job, which... That does not bode well for Judge Jackson. I mean, everything Kamala Harris <laughs> gets involved, in, that might be that might be the end of her nomination. <clears throat> um, oh, I kid the vice president. So we got some positive news. I think uh, German Finance Minister says that Berlin is open to cutting Russia off from the SWIFT. That's the the communication system that the banks use and financial institutions use and such. Also, as if that isn't enough, they are open to this idea. They have finally gotten their, uh, their big donation to Ukraine to help the, the people fight the Russians, um, to shipment of no, not arms. It's not arms. No, it's for the heads. It's for their heads. They're shipping 5,000 helmets, but almost not into ukraine. They don't want to go into ukraine, so they're like we're going to leave it at the border and then you guys can come get them. I'm not kidding. 5000 helmets from germany but you're going to have to pick them up. It's like covid, probably due to covid restrictions. That is probably the reason. You know, it's like groceries. They don't they don't want you to come inside, so they'll just just leave them out there and then they'll come out wipe them down and take them. Maybe that's the deal. The uh, EU says that it's going to freeze the assets Uh, Vladimir Putin, as well as Sergei Lavrov, who is the foreign minister. Um, So that's a positive sign, I think. There's a thread on Twitter by a fellow named Michael D. Weiss. Michael Weiss. He's a writer for New Lines magazine. Also, uh, the Daily Beast. uh, Foreign Office, I think. Podcasters, Foreign Off Pod or something. Anyway podcast guy um but he's also an author he's written a couple books uh one of them is uh isis inside the army of terror and uh his book that he's working on now is about the russians and so he has this thread on twitter and he starts off by saying that this comes from a a ukrainian intelligence source that has passed along the following information uh, some of this stuff has already started to trickle out in some form in the Ukrainian media. And uh, actually, if you were listening earlier, I, I heard it on my way in. Uh, Vince was was chatting with Jim Garrity. I'm a big fan of Garrity's work. Um, Had been for a long time. So it was, I, I enjoyed listening to the interview with Jim Garrity and he referenced some of these points as well. But this is where sort of the whole uh, the whole thread comes from. This fellow, Michael Weiss. And he says, remember, all the usual caveats apply here. He can't verify this stuff because it comes from a single Ukrainian intel source. So you got to take it with a grain of salt. you got to just keep that in mind. This could be true, could be false. Some of it could be true. It could also be designed to mislead, but this is what he's got. He says, apparently, it's based on human intelligence and concerns Russia's play for Kiev, which, by the way... Uh, You hear two different pronunciations. Like, I grew up always hearing it was Kiev. But it's actually apparently Kiev. That's the way the Ukrainians pronounce it. Kiev is the Russian pronunciation. And so I'm not going to do Russia any solids here, so it's Kiev. As many as 2,000 Russian special forces are planning to seize either Sikorsky Airport or Borspel Airport in the capital to prepare for the arrival of 10,000 paratroopers, along with aircraft, light-armored vehicles, and airborne troops. The landing operation uh, is going to be run by A-50 aircraft in the airspace of Belarus and Russia. Which, by the way, uh, Belarus, you can join Russia in, in all of the sanctions. You can have all the sanctions Russia gets to. Simultaneously, sabotage groups already in Ukraine will seek to take out power grids and substations to disconnect much of Kiev from electricity and communications, causing panic among the population. By the way, the reason I'm going through these tactics is because people need to understand the minds of the madmen. And when you're waging total war, which is what the Russians are doing, total war, the targeting of civilians in order to conquer their territory uh, to make them give up their will to fight, So that's what we're seeing. Terrorism, total war. Um, We need to understand the tactics being employed because some of them could be used against us. Um, I just saw this other thing related to the, uh, you got sabotage groups already in Ukraine. They are, the Ukrainian government is uh, telling people who live or work or are Hiding in tall buildings, first off, all, probably not a great idea to hide in a tall building, but to go up, if you're in a building, go up to the roof and check the tops of the roofs for uh, signals that these sabotage groups have already laid out for the aircraft to come by so they can spot the, the targets. And they say, cover them up, like put dirt on top of them or just do your best to cover them up or remove them somehow. Uh, so, so the building doesn't get hit. Um, this is going to coincide with a massive cyber attack, by the way. So, first you land, uh, first you take over the airports, then you move in the uh, uh, the personnel and the vehicles, and uh, then you uh, take out the power grids and the substations to take out all the electricity and comms. That causes panic among the population. This will then coincide with a massive cyber attack on the authorities. And other vital sites in Ukraine shortly preceding that there will be an intensification at the fronts with possible provocations along the entire border with Ukraine. The goal is to force the military political leadership to withdraw the bulk of combat ready troops to a line of defense, leaving only a small number of troops in Kiev. To basically force them to abandon their capital. The goal is to force them out. The task of the landing party is to block Kiev communications, military control channels, capture, blow up arsenals and so panic. And the reason why you want to sow panic, according to the Russian thought process here, is you want to create conditions for, quote, uncontrolled columns of refugees from the city. Why? That will then block the highways and the roads. Why is that important? That hinders troop movements, including law enforcement agencies, on the roads of Kiev. The next phase will be to capture and control the main authorities, including the general staff, the cabinet, uh, and retain them until the arrival of Russia's main forces. The date of the operation is unknown, but it's expected in the coming days, depending on the weather and the development of the international situation. The desired result is to seize the leadership of the Ukrainian state and force a peace agreement to be signed on Russian terms under conditions of blackmail. Even if much of the current leadership is evacuated, some pro-Russian politicians will be able to assume responsibility, sign the documents, and cite the escape of the leadership from Kiev as their authority to do so. The end game, evidently, is to bisect Ukraine into two de facto states on the principle of East and West Germany or North and South Korea, and Kyiv falls under Russia's dominion. So that's the strategy, according to a Ukrainian intelligence source. News Talk 1110 and 993 WBT. 704 570 1110 1 800 WBT 1110. Let's go over to the phone lines. Let's start off here with Max. Hello, Max. Welcome to the show.
1: Hey, um, yeah, I've been listening since the invasion to both liberal and conservative uh, media sources, and I've heard a lot about uh, emboldening China to attack Taiwan. W- what I haven't heard anybody say—that that maybe I missed it—that we should be helping Ukraine, that we should do something—is that? Is, what is your opinion on that?
0: On whether we should be helping Ukraine?
1: Whether we should go in there and take military action?
0: So. I am not an advocate of sending our military into Ukraine to defend them. I'm not an advocate for that because we have, I mean, like, even though we had that, what was it called, uh, the Budapest Agreement or whatever it was, if you give up all your nukes and everybody will, you know, uh, leave you alone. and Right. Um, but I, I, I don't think that the nation would support us doing that. I think there are many other ways we can help them, and we should and i've got a whole list of them i'm going to get to but i don't think that sending our troops there i don't think that's i don't think that's a good policy for us and i don't think biden would be even be able to get i mean we're sending 7000 troops to uh, uh to germany I think. yeah
1: I don't know. I think history will be against us once Taiwan falls also, and they're not a NATO ally.
0: So here, well, but here, it's true. And here's the issue, though, is that we do have agreements with countries over there that are member nations of NATO, and we can go and and prop them up and create a backstop there, right, so there isn't any further incursion. Right. We, We can do that. But now think in terms of, once we devote the resources to going there, then... Are we not in any kind of position to help Taiwan, right? Because we, like it's Longman said, like we can't fight a two front war.
1: And that's. If we lock ourselves out of helping Ukraine, Mm -hmm. how will it look when we go and help Taiwan if we do?
0: So, what of the argument then that Europe should be taking the lead role in that effort?
1: I agree. Yeah, uh, and I think Germany's uh, helmet thing is a little pathetic.
0: Kind of, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> I mean, and but, I
1: think uh, Biden is being pathetic, but I, I just wanted I hadn't heard anybody actually say we should go over there and well.
0: It's not a popular opinion at this point. Okay. According to the polling, it's like 20-25% or whatever of, of Americans think that we should provide uh you know direct military assistance. So it's not a that we should intervene.
1: I've not been on the side of any war that's happened in my lifetime, uh, but I would be pro helping Ukraine. I think emboldening Putin and waiting to see if he does anything to NATO is is I just wanted to go
0: on record. Right. Well so so I'm glad you called next because now the follow up I would have is that Russia is a nuclear power. And this is now a hot war, not a cold war. So if we send our troops into Ukraine, doesn't that provide all the opportunity for escalation into nuclear warfare?
1: It very well could, but to me, the whole thing uh, smacks of 1939 Poland. Mm -hmm. What happened in World War II, and they just let them have Poland, and we stayed isolationist, and the ball starts rolling, and we had a chance to start early and we're going to wait until late
0: right but you don't uh, and we don't know which way history would have worked out you know how things would have worked out had they tried to stop uh hitler before appeasement right we uh, uh, there's, there's no telling like we could have said don't do it and then he moved in and then there was a war and it came earlier and uh maybe he did better early on i don't know maybe it changed the timeline and i i, I don't know i mean that's just all speculative It is pure speculation right but i get your point and this is the question that that we as a nation are going to be wrestling with, because even if we don't go military route, we just do sanctions, there is a real risk. And I think I said this yesterday. I'm not sure that everyone, myself included, that we've wrapped our minds around what this looks like if and when Russia and China and maybe Iran.
1: Yeah, reading between the lines, it seems like we're emboldening Russia to fall into China's arms.
0: I think they're already there. I think they're already there because their their interests are mutually aligned, and um, and I think they're already there. uh, And the and I think we've been we've been too weak on China. And I think there's an entire class of American quote unquote elites that have financially benefited for a very long time from Chinese money. And uh, I think there are a lot of there are a lot of people over yeah, and there are a lot of people in Europe that have benefited financially from the Russian. Oligarchs as well. So you've got these, like, there's, I got a story here in the stack uh, about how uh, London is probably not going to get on board because it's so compromised by Russian money.
1: And I don't think we have a chance to stand up against a united Russia and China front. That's probably why I think we should do something now because if we wait and they do attack NATO, what chance do we really have of beating Russia and China as an allied team?
0: There comes a point when, and I, I said this during COVID as well, when you look at a whole bunch of bad options and all of them are going to be painful and deadly and you have to pick one of the bad options. And it doesn't mean it's a good option. It just means you had to pick one, you know? Uh, well, I hope
1: it, I hope they stop there and attack the NATO. I guess we'll just have to kiss Taiwan and Ukraine sovereignty goodbye.
0: It goes, to, well, it's one and. One of the things I also saw, you never know how this shakes out. Maybe the Ukrainian uh, people put up enough of a defense that Russia can't roll through as quickly as they thought they 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 could. Uh, maybe that happens. And then also, maybe a whole bunch of other countries start beating a line to our door. Could to- we not
1: send in UN troops or something tertiary? I, where no, because the UN are just peacekeepers. War
0: with them? No, UN's just peacekeepers, right? They're not going to... I mean, like I'm not a fan of the UN. I believe it's just a club of uh, dictators and tyrants, uh, and I don't, I don't care at all about what the UN thinks about really anything. So, in
1: your opinion, do we go to war if they do push on and take over Poland or whatever else?
0: I, I don't think there's a choice. That's the whole point of the NATO agreement, right?
1: I just hope we actually do if they push it further. Yeah, I mean, I, I... I would hate to see another round of appeasement and worthless sanctions.
0: Right, so that's... So you got to think now, what is the... What's the juice, and is it worth the squeeze for Putin? If he just... If he's trying to take half of Ukraine, and he's going to stop after he cuts it in half and takes Kiev, then... And he stops, does that give the West the opportunity to be like, oh, thank goodness it's over? And then, Man kind of relax all the sanctions, and we never have to send any uh, any uh, military uh, support like that. Like, is, is that the off ramp? And and Putin's going to give it to the West? I certainly hope so. Yeah. Otherwise, it's it's war. otherwise it's World War Three. Right. Yeah. All right, well, Max. Yeah. Appreciate good. the call. Thanks, sir. All right. Have a good one. Yeah. No, it's it. There there are just a lot of bad options. And when. When we go down the route of sanctions, I'm not sure people fully comprehend. Like, remember the colonial pipeline? Now imagine them taking out, you know, the the eastern seaboard of all of its power. Like energy, electricity, it's all shut off. Yeah, I, I, it, it could, this, this is, this is why war is bad, people. Should make a bumper sticker. War is bad. All right, news is next.